Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Get unlimited access to breaking news, in-depth stories, and expert analysis on The Athletic for what's sure to be one of the most enthralling seasons in sports history. I know for the A's, it got off to an incredible start with Matt Olson's walk-off grand slam in the bottom of the 10th inning on opening night. And don't miss exclusive more coverage of the A's and all your favorite teams. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com backslash the seamheads, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com backslash the seamheads for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. This is Melissa Lockard with Alex Coffey from The Seamheads, a show about the Oakland A's. It was certainly a successful first series for the A's. They weren't certainly firing on all cylinders, but getting three wins out of four against the Angels is definitely the right way to start off a season. And obviously, they couldn't have gotten any better than getting a grand slam in the bottom of the 10th inning on opening night to get things rolling. And from there, they, you know, kind of got the hits when they needed to, had an amazing bullpen, and and managed to squeeze out three wins. So, Alex, what did you kind of your first impressions of those first four games? You know, initially, I was a little bit worry just because the bats seemed really cold it seemed kind of like Ramon was carrying the <laughs> the brunt of the offense on his shoulders a little bit the first couple games but it seems like Chapman's starting to heat up a little bit like hits are starting to be more evenly distributed throughout the lineup and as you mentioned the bullpen was just incredible I guess my question now is as they try to stretch their starters out a little bit more what's the expectation for the bullpen moving forward right like hopefully the way that they were used in this series doesn't have like a domino effect as they go into their series against the Rockies and then the Mariners, because they were used a lot. (laughs) But really, really impressive stuff from the bullpen. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that Bob Melvin mentioned after the game on Monday was that, you know, the starters are going to have to pick up that slack in this next series. And maybe not necessarily in the two games against the Rockies, but certainly when they get to Seattle, that they start to expect guys like Frankie Montas and, and Sean Mania and Mike Fires at the very least to be able to go further than they did. And, and he mentioned with Frankie Montas that he was the one pitcher that they did sort of hope would be able to get past five innings. And, you know, he just had to work really hard in the early innings of of that opening night start and that, that sort of prevented them from pushing him further but obviously when you have guys like uh, Birch Smith and, and TJ McFarlane coming in and being able to throw full innings or in, in Smith's case on Monday two innings you know sort of eat up those middle parts of, of the game I got a, a note from Colin Thoreau the one of the A's minor league catchers that was a non-roster invitee this spring and he said that Smith was the best pitcher that he caught this spring you know that his stuff has really stood out to him the whole time um, you know, he was up to 95 consistently with his fastball. Melvin mentioned also that he was pitching more down in the zone on Monday's game than he was on opening night. And, you know, opening night he came in and, you know, luckily he's been in the minor league. So I'm guessing it wasn't his first experience with this, but he had to come in with a runner on second base to start the inning. First pitcher ever in major league history, at least to do that. (laughs) You know, he got out of the inning. I mean, it's, um, I thought that whole sequence was really interesting too, because as much as we talked going into this sort of shortened season about how having fast runners on your bench would be beneficial in that new 10th inning or and beyond rule where you have a runner on second to start the inning neither team bunted you know and I guess maybe I should have known that I you know we've 
I've seen a lot of these innings play out now in the minor leagues. I have a, a curse of going to a lot of extra inning minor league games, which no one wants, but um, they don't bunt that often. I think the teams still inherently look to what their strengths are, and strength is just not really bunting that frequently. So perhaps we kind of overestimated how much gamemanship was going to go on in those extra inning battles. But, you know, for Smith to get out of that without giving up a run, to give the A's a chance in the bottom half of that inning to get, you know, off to a winning start was huge. And then, you know, now I think the confidence that he has going forward is going to be big in those middle innings for the A's. I think in regards to the extra inning runner on second role, um, I was talking to an A's fan about this a couple of days ago, and it almost seems like having the mats on the corners kind of negates <laughs> negates like the advantage that another team might have by having the runner on second just with their defensive ability, like abilities. And we all saw what happened on opening night and how the mats were able to make that amazing defensive play. So the, I'm sure the A's hope that, that having those sturdy guys on the corners can help them out in those types of situations. Absolutely. And then on Monday's game, too, you know, uh, Chapman made another incredible play where, uh, you know, there was a runner on third with no outs and a kind of low line drive ground ball type thing down the third baseline. He scoops it and throws and gets Justin Upton breaking for home there. And, and, you know, that prevented them from being able to make a comeback when the A's had just taken the lead. And, you know, it's those sort of plays that, um, I mean, obviously he gets those defensive recognitions and, and everything, but it's those sort of plays that unless you're really like marking them in your scorebook or something, you don't realize how much those turn around maybe an entire season. I mean, you're looking at like in this particular case, each win being 2.7, you know, <laughs> worth of games. I mean, that play alone could be worth a full win share um, in terms Crazy. of how you would measure these sorts of things. So, and I thought it was interesting because I definitely thought there were some moments where, you know, the defense looked a little bit choppy like it might in early spring training in the first couple of games. But then uh, the last couple of games of that series, uh, you know, against the Angels, it, it started to look sharp again. And so I think I wouldn't be surprised if the team starts to really take it to a next level in, in these next couple of series, because I, I have a sense that it was just sort of breaking the ice in those first, at least those first two games against the Angels. You know, nothing can replicate like an in-game situation when in games that matter and these games matter even more than, you know, games have ever mattered before. So I really do think that the rustiness on defense was more just a product of, you know, not being in those types of situations. And now they're starting to kind of shake some of the rust off. Yeah. And I think also with the the bats too, like on Monday in the first inning, Chapman had an at-bat where he fouled a ball straight back. It was a really good swing. The next pitch, he hits a line drive base hit to left field. And it just looked like the timing was back. And sure enough, in the next at-bat, he hits a double over Trout's head in center field. He collects another single in his, in his third at-bat. So it was first three hit game of the season and you know after the game he he said that he really had maybe was trying to do a little bit too much early in the series but got back to just sort of focusing on his timing and you know he said the angels are a staff that kind of makes you beat them with their pitches just off the corners as opposed to really challenging you which is probably a tough way to start a season I mean you're probably looking for I want to time up a fastball and you know they're throwing curveballs and fastball counts that's probably not that helpful and certainly I think in that second game Dylan Bundy kind of painted a, a portrait of, of how to pitch backwards against the A's because he, he really looked like um, you know he was dominating with his secondary stuff but you know the one guy that hasn't really shown it yet is Chris Davis 
And Davis did move down to the sixth spot in the batting order on Monday after not playing on Sunday. And he did hit two balls hard, but he also struck out twice. And, uh, you know, I, you have to wonder how much more rope he's going to get in a you know situation where they definitely need as many wins and as much offense as they can. They obviously have a lot invested in him this season and next season monetarily. You're just not going to get the same kind of runway to get out of a slump that you would normally. I think Stephen Piscotty might fall in the same boat and in, in just in terms of, you know, they've got so many outfielders or people who could DH that at some point you're, you're starting to wonder if maybe Bob Melvin's going to have to make a move with either of those guys. And, and I know that's going to be hard because they're sort of centerpieces of the clubhouse. So I think that'll be something to, to monitor as they go into that Colorado series. Melvin said at one point, I, th- I think his exact quote was that it doesn't matter what your name is, right? So like it could be a big name player that ends up losing some playing time just because his bat is cold or you know, like you said, there's a plethora of outfield candidates and, you know, these are known for their depth. They're known for their versatility. So there are, you know, tons of guys that you can kind of slot into those spots. So it'll be interesting to see how much of a rope they give him. I talked to um, Eric Martins, the A's assistant hitting coach on the phone for a story about Ramon and how Ramon has been able to stay so sharp and stay ahead of pitchers at a time when, you know, a lot of hitters around the league are struggling with that. And I asked him about Chris Davis and he didn't seem really concerned. He was working with him during the work stoppage as well. And, you know, said it's just kind of a matter of time, but I think the big question is how much time, right? Like how much time in a 60 game season are we going to, you know, allow for him to kind of get back to his normal 247, you know, 40 home run typical season. I thought in kind of a, note to the depth that they have they went through in a four game series every single position player except for Seth Brown got at least one at bat which shows you that they've got a lot of versatility it shows you Bob Melvin's going to bring a lot of guys in and in the bullpen I think similar in that sense that you've got you know Yosemero Petit coming in and getting a one out to end an inning or going in and pitching two innings or you know there's just so many moving parts Soria coming in and, and getting a save on Monday and being a seventh inning guy a couple of games earlier and so I, I think that first versatility will certainly be very helpful as they sort of start to find their footing. And, um, you know, as they go into the Colorado series, they'll get a chance to test themselves against a team that, you know, won a couple of games against the Rangers in their first series. And, you know, and then the big challenge comes the road trip, because it's not even just going to be about playing on the field, but obviously the the distraction of making sure that you're staying safe on a road trip. And obviously with the Marlins and and everything that's happened with the outbreak that they had on their first road trip of the season, that's going to weigh heavily on the guys' minds. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that has any sort of impact on them as they head to Seattle. Yeah, definitely. And we're already seeing a little bit of the trickle down effect of that, you know, with Olsen deciding to wear a mask. You know, we don't know if that's like directly impacted by all the news that came out of Miami. But, you know, it definitely seems like it spooked a lot of people around the league and kind of seemed like a little bit of a reality check as far as what can happen when we're when we're attempting to play baseball in a pandemic, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it really did have a very damping effect on how excited they were coming out of the first three games of the season. I think on that fourth day and hearing that it was sort of, uh, I, I think Melvin's quote was something like, I don't want to say it scared everyone, but it kind of did. He and, and Matt Chapman and, and Robbie Grossman and uh, Daniel Mengen were the people that we spoke to on Monday. And, you know, they're very you know clear that they feel like the A's have been doing a really good job of, of keeping themselves safe and everything. But uh, I think it's it served as a pretty big reminder about just how careful you have to be and, uh, you know, how much work you have to do to make sure that you're you're being safe. So I think it was good to see Matt Olson wearing a mask at first base. I, I know Mike, Mike Trout, who 
Matt Chapman joked, probably wears a mask because he knows he's going to be on first base more often than not. So he might as well bring it with him wherever he goes. But, um, you know, these are kind of pillars of MLB. And and when they set examples like that, I think it helps, uh, you know, for everybody to see that that's something that that players like that do. But, you know, hope for all all the best health-wise for the Marlins and that, you know, this season can still trundle forward if, you know, they can make sure that people are being safe. It's going to be something that weighs on the minds of everybody for every game that they're out there. And it was it's weird. I mean, you go to the baseball game and, and some parts of it feel extremely normal. You know, you're watching the game and, and the rhythms of the game itself are, are very normal. It's not normal. You know, there's players sitting in the stands. There's, you know, tents up where there should normally be people cheering. Um, there's guys in masks. It's uh, sanitizer every two feet where you go in, in the stadium. And the traffic's nice getting in and out of the ballpark. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's, it's, it is a stark reminder that as, as normal as it felt this weekend to be able to flip around to a bunch of games and as good as it felt to be able to do that, it, it is still, um, you know, a time that we uh, are, are going to have to be so careful. But, you know, I think all things considered, that part aside, you know, the A's have to be coming out of this four-game series feeling as good as they possibly could have hoped to as they move on to their first interleague series of the season. And, you know, I think uh, if you're doing 2.7, my math is not very good, but however many wins that is above 500, I think they're they're doing pretty well. Yeah. I was thinking about this just, you know, when this news was coming out of Miami and, you know, obviously when that news starts to roll out, a lot of speculation ensues and no one really knows what's going on or what MLB is going to do. And it hasn't really hasn't been clear as to what it would take for Rob Manfred to shut down the season. So just from a like baseball writer's standpoint, I personally find myself kind of vacillating between I'm watching the game, I'm in the game, I'm writing my game story, I'm totally entrenched and immersed in this world. And then you take a brief step out of it and you realize like what's going on around the sport and, you know, around the country. And it's just kind of, I, I imagine that it must be a similar experience for some of the players, you know, because I think that some of these playing in a game in some respects does feel normal. Baseball is obviously a sport that kind of thrives off of routine and normal, you know, like routine and kind of consistency. And those are those are some of the tenets of the sport. And so that's obviously comforting, but it definitely kind of felt like a jolt, a little bit of a a little bit of a wake up call. So hopefully this doesn't escalate in the situation, you know, MLB figures out a way to kind of make sure that everyone is safe and the season can continue without putting anyone at risk. Safety is the most most important part of this whole thing. So hopefully they can figure out a way that um, they can figure out what maybe what went wrong in the situation that, that in the Marlins clubhouse, whether it was, you know, just there or something else happened and that they can kind of work backwards to make this uh, maybe a learning moment and you know and hopefully everybody that that has it is ends up asymptomatic and, and okay so um, we will see but yeah up next to get the A's have a two-game series against the Colorado Rockies and we, we will be back after those two games to talk about those and maybe preview a little bit of a trip to a place you're very familiar with up in Seattle and um, <laughs> it should be uh, good to see a lot of the really nice uh, young talent out there and Seattle, like Kyle Lewis, the outfielder for the Mariners, is one of my favorite young players. So I think it'll be fun to to see him uh, get regular playing time in this 60-game season. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back before the Seattle series.